African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Well, thank you for joining us once again for African Dialogue. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. Well, the African Dialogue is where we actually focus on the issues that are taking place on the continent every day of the week. Well, from Monday to Thursday, we speak to various experts about uh, really the pivotal issues, the heart-burning issues, and also some of the frustrations we have on the continent, but also development on our beautiful continent as well. There's a whole lot of things to look up to. So today we'll be looking at the discussion of... Um, really a single air transport market on the continent. We're having some experts to speak about that. We know that ministers of various uh, transport ministers of various countries met in South Africa last week to speak about this endeavor. But before we get into that, let's get our news from Onel Nzinzi. We take a look at your headlines. Leader of Somalia's Al-Shabaab militant group quits the insurgency and renounces violence perpetrated by the Al-Qaeda-linked group. Justice Kananelo Mosido is sworn in as the president of the Court of Appeal of Lesotho amidst political wrangling that the appointment was violating the electoral pledge to refrain from changing senior government officials and heads of state to discuss how best to tackle Boko Haram when they meet for the AU summit in Addis Ababa later this week. With your latest news, a good morning. I am Onelin Sinti. The leader of Somalia's Islamic extremist group, Al-Shabaab, has quit the insurgency and renounced violence perpetrated by the Al-Qaeda-linked group. Zakaria Ishmael Hersi, who was Al-Shabaab's intelligence chief, called for reconciliation while speaking to the media for the first time since he he surrendered to Somali authorities in late December. Some analysts say Hersi defected because he feared for his life because of friction with colleagues loyal to Ahmed Ghadani, the Al-Shabaab leader who was killed by a U.S. airstrike last year. Hersi was one of the seven top Al-Shabaab leaders targeted by the Obama administration in 2012, which offered rewards totaling $33 million for information leading to their capture. Justice Kananelo Mosido has been sworn in as president of the Court of Appeal of Lesotho. 
This after political contenders attempted to derail the appointment, saying it was violating the electoral pledge to refrain from changing senior government officials. The concerns prompted a visit by SANDF facilitator Cyril Ramaphosa from South Africa last week. The civil society says the complaints are political. The throwing in of Mosito is seen as a victory for Prime Minister Tom Tabani in the squabbles. Mosito, who was distinguished, resumed as a lawyer and judge, succeeds just Justice Michael Ramodibedi, who is also the Chief Justice of Swaziland. The African Union might grant a mandate as early as this week for a regional military force to combat Islamist Boko Haram militants. Nigeria, Cameroon, Niger, Chad and Benin agreed in Niger's capital, Naimi, this month that the AU would seek UN support for the operation to take on Boko Haram, which is fighting to create an Islamic emirate in northern Nigeria. Commissioner of the AU's Peace and Security Council, Smail Chigui, says tackling Boko Haram is on the agenda for talks in Addis Ababa, where African leaders are holding a summit meeting this week. A court in Zimbabwe has sentenced four villagers who were displaced by floods last year to five years in jail for taking part in demonstrations that rocked the camp they and thousands of others were sheltering in. Zimbabwe lawyer for human rights says the four include a 42-year-old mother of two minors, children and a 44-year-old father of seven children. A camp was set up in Chinguizi to provide temporary shelter for the displaced but tempers ran high when officials tried to relocate the villages. And finally, UN human rights officers have urged Egyptian authorities to end excessive force against protesters. This following the death of at least 20 demonstrators marking the fourth anniversary of the ousting of former President Hosni Mubarak. One of the victims was leading civil rights campaigner Shaima al-Ashabag, whose death was captured on film. Daniel Johnson has more. The killing of a young protester at a peaceful protest in Egypt must not go unpunished, the UN's human rights watchdog, Rupert Colville, spokesperson for the High Commissioner, at a press briefing in Geneva. He said that it should be easy to find out who is responsible for the killing, which was one of at least 20 deaths in Cairo during recent protests commemorating the 2011 ousting of Hosni Mubarak. The UN spokesperson reasserted High Commissioner Zaid Rad al-Hussein's call for an end to the use of excessive force by Egyptian security personnel. Mr. Colville said that 550 civilians and law enforcement personnel had been killed in radical attacks since January 2011, which indicated a very genuine security situation. Recapping on your top stories, leaders of Somalia's Al-Shabaab militant group quits the insurgency and renounces violence perpetrated by the Al-Qaeda-linked group. Justice Kananelo Mosito is sworn in as the president of the Court of Appeal of Lesotho and heads of state to discuss how best to tackle Boko Haram when they meet for the AU summit in Addis Ababa later this week. Channel Africa News. Well, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama, right here on African Dialogue. Thank you for joining us here on the program. Remember that we want to hear from you so you can interact with us via our Facebook page. It's simply titled Channel Africa. 
or you can interact with us uh, via Facebook on our uh, um, rather our Twitter handle. It's uh, simply titled at uh, uh, Channel Africa One. That's the Twitter handle at Channel Africa One. So you will find us there. Uh, we're going to take a little break just for now, and then we'll be back to look at the story of today. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Just a reminder, my name is Benjamin Mushatam, and you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Well, I did speak about earlier on talking about the single-air market on the continent, and uh, there has been discussions about that, and we've already got guests on the line to speak about that. But I would like us to look at it or what happened last week when African ministers of transport attended a ministerial working group on the establishment of a single African transport market in South Africa's capital of Pretoria where they were meeting. The meeting was convened with the aim of engaging the different stakeholders and seeking guidance on the implementation of this continental initiative in the air transport industry. Now the ministerial working group comprised of ministers of the 15 states representing each region of the African Union with various aviation backgrounds, countries in attendance, uh, Equatorial Guinea, there were Senegal, Angola, amongst others. Now, uh, let's find out more from Obert Mpofu, uh, Zimbabwean Minister of Transport and Infrastructural Development. We are here to uh, look at the agenda for the AU Summit, which will be uh, this month and looking specifically on the aviation sector, where we have to review or Look at the stage at which we are regarding the Yomasuko um, Declaration, which actually came up with some fundamental points on the unification of the African airlines and the liberalization of the African airspace. So, so it is quite an important meeting uh, of African, minister, African ministers of transport, which actually uh, I think will come up with an update on the stage at which uh, most countries are regarding the implementation of the UMASCO declaration. And what would you say is the state of the aviation sector generally um, in the continent at the moment? It has improved tremendously, madam. From the time the, this declaration was made, I think there has been some minimal uh, inconveniences or incidences within the aviation industry in Africa. We, we view this uh, position, policy position by AU as, as a policy that will actually assure security, safety, and also the effectiveness of our airline industry. You know, we have big and small airlines within the continent, and this policy seems to be accommodative of all types of airlines within the continent. But there are challenges within some uh, small airlines. And these challenges are being uh, resolved through the cooperation of the bigger players. So, so we feel we are on the right, tra- on the right track. And uh, not certainly uh, the, the objectives for which this declaration was made will be certainly achieved.
Part of the objectives of this meeting is really to sensitize ministers to be able to support the establishment of the single African air transport market. If you could just elaborate more on that um, for, for listeners who do not understand what this could be. You have a situation in Africa where when you want to go to another African state, for instance, just North Africa, if you go to Europe, you first go to Europe to go to Africa. Instead of going straight or connecting within Africa to go to an African uh, destination. See, these are some of the issues that we are addressing. These are some of the issues that we want to ensure they, they actually uh, don't uh, you know, continue happening because of the synergy that uh, the African ministers are going to come up with. We are discussing some of those uh, challenges and we hope by the end of the day we will have uh, agreed on the way forward, on how best we can speed up direct connectivity as opposed to no indirect connectivity, which has been the case with most of our airlines. Well, that was Obert Mpofu, Minister of Transport and Infrastructural Development in Zimbabwe. He was in South Africa last week as part of the ministerial working group that comprised of ministers of the 15 states representing each region of the African Union. They were talking about that issue of an African single air transport market. And to help us discuss this particular issue, we joined on the line by Chris uh, Zwegenthal, who's the chief executive of Airline. Association of Southern Africa. And also we have uh, Charlene uh, Chetty, who is the Executive Manager of uh, Engineering and Flight Operations at Danel Aviations, as well as Lyndon Burns, the Managing Director of Plan Talking. Uh, Plan Talking was established in 1992, which consults to the world's leading aerospace and defense industry and aviation organizations. Now, I want to start this conversation with you, Lyndon. When we were talking earlier on, you gave me some background information about how long this has been taken. Can you just give us some of the background between uh, what's happening here in terms of uh, the initiatives uh, since 20 years ago of this particular initiative of creating a single air transport market on the continent? Hi, good morning. Uh, so the, it's not a new concept. It's just been a ref, it, there's been a refining of the concept. But in fact, in November 1988, the then Organization of African Unity, the forerunner of the African Union, together with the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa, um, sponsored a meeting in Yamasukru in Cote d'Ivoire. It was attended by representatives of African governments, civil aviation authorities, the airlines, the organizations concerned with air transport in Africa who, who were uh, looking at uh, establishing guidelines, and what they wanted to do was try and establish a common market. And in fact, at the point at that point, they were they, they were even more ambitious. They wanted to establish a African, a single African airline modelled on the Scandinavian airlines model. So it was a it would be a, a a multinationally owned African carrier. Now that was clearly uh, way too ambitious, and also the the policy at the time that they were thinking of, which was open skies for Africa, mm. um, was also too ambitious. And so they met again uh, 10 years later in Mauritius. Uh, the transport ministers from around Africa got together, and Jeffrey Debbie at the time, I think, represented South Africa, or it may have been Mac Maharaj. Mm. Um, and they said, instead of open skies, carte blanche for everybody, we need to have 
um, an open skies for African airlines in Africa approach. And uh, I heard your previous uh, uh, um, speaker on the show a second ago saying, well, you know, the big benefit would be uh, people would be able to, to have better connectivity, it'd be easier to fly around the continent. Absolutely, but mm. there is a very powerful economic imperative and incentive for governments to do this. Mm. And IATA, the International Air Transport Association, last year released a report that they'd had commissioned um, uh, on the study of the economic benefits of opening up Africa's skies. And they said that if, if the 12 countries of South Africa, Namibia, Angola, Kenya, Uganda, Ethiopia, Nigeria, Ghana, Senegal, Egypt, Tunisia, and Algeria all opened their skies, then we'd be able to generate about 5 million more passenger seats per year. Mm. We would improve GDP across the continent by just over $1.2 billion. Mm. And we would create another 155,000 jobs, mm. uh, direct jobs in the industry and, and supported in tourism. Mm. So that's a pretty powerful economic yeah. incentive, in, uh, uh, and the AQ, I think, have recognized that. Well, let me now move to Chris Zwegenthal, the Chief Executive of Airlines Association of Southern Africa. I just want to move back a little bit, and I think uh, uh, Lyndon highlighted some of the historical imperatives and also was moving forward and how this could impact uh, the continent. But I want to look at what are we talking about when we mean a single transport market? What does that mean for the continent? What does that actually, how do we define that for an ordinary person like me, Chris? Uh, Good morning. Thank you, Benjamin. Um, The single aviation market effectively means that you can have unlimited traffic between all states, so it effectively opens up the market to unlimited frequencies and flights between um, any any destination on this continent between any state. So it really opens up the opportunity for a major increase in the number of potentially airlines, Mm. increase in the number of uh, destinations that would be served, a lot of interconnectivity between the various um, states and destinations, which is probably lacking at this moment in time. Probably another benefit would be um, route competition, and obviously there would be a reduction in fares. Mm. But substantially a growth in market and and the ability to get away from some of the bilateral uh, air service agreements that exist between the the, the countries and, and to actually have more of an open market. And, I mean, it's so imperative to do that within Africa because at the moment we are, we are um, holding ourselves back from the ability to actually grow and obviously then get, uh, get from domestic and regional um, strength mm. to be able to then um, expand our operations internationally, which I think is the, the goal of most of the, of the states. Now, I want to look at it from a practical level, and that's why I brought Shailen Chetty, the Executive Manager of Engineering and Flight Operations uh, at Donnell Aviations. And I think also the practicalities come in here, uh, Shalan, in terms of looking at the requirements on the ground. Does Africa have enough trained engineers and experts who are actually trained in aviation in this regard? Uh, good morning, Benjamin, and to all your listeners as well. Um, to answer your question, the, the short answer is probably no. Uh, but to, to qualify that, that statement, uh, generally we, we in Africa do not have enough graduate engineers and technicians being trained and developed in general. If you take that only 5 to 10% of those people will actually eventually end up in the aerospace sector, then, then you, you start to see that the, the shortfall that we're going to have 
based on the increased influx of uh, air traffic in the region, uh, we, we might have to, to do some serious work in, in bringing the number of people that we develop and, and uh, the skill set up to speed. Hmm. And, and so in terms of also looking at the engineering requirements, the engineering capacity on, on the continent, can we handle this move, Shailen? I, I believe we can. Mm. If we put together structured programs looking at the development uh, around not only aircraft maintenance but aircraft development, uh, mm. design and development and aircraft testing, I believe that, that we have the capability and the ability within Africa to, to grow this industry that we are comparable and competitive worldwide. Mm. Well. Lyndon, Shailen is highlighting a very important issue in terms of training on the ground, getting experts and engineers who have the capacity to deal with this particular move. What are your views there? Look, I, I think Shailen makes an excellent point, but I also believe that you know the the, the economic driver for this um, is going to propel. Um, governments to also put more emphasis on developing skills and on helping to to sort of position aviation as a sexy, attractive career uh, path. Mm. You know, not everyone needs to be a pilot. If you think about the airline industry or the aerospace industry, we need everyone in this industry. We need lawyers. We need financial brains. We need engineers. Yes, we need pilots, but. You know, if you think of a career, um, there's probably a home for that career within the air transport and aerospace sector. But I'd like to just go back to something that Chris was alluding to, which I think is very important. Mm. I think you, your listeners would probably benefit in, in, in contextualizing the whole discussion. Yeah. First of all, we have a situation in Africa where we don't have navigable rivers to any great extent. We don't have a fantastic road network. We have the huge bottlenecks at, um, at, at, at border posts, um, mm. and we don't have high-speed rail. Mm. So the fastest and the most reliable way of moving people and moving goods around the continent is by air. So th- there, there is a lot of pent-up demand for people needing to travel, not necessarily tourists, but including tourists, but increasingly small traders, entrepreneurs, mm. people who need to get, get to different markets. Um, and if we can find a way of getting rid of these archaic 1940s era <laughs> interstate bilateral mechanisms which currently mm. um, prescribe and limit who can operate, how many flights can be flown, what size of aircraft, what number of seats can be put on to, in, into a market, and which airlines are allowed to, to, to you know, give them permission to operate. If we can get rid of that and do what they've done in the EU, do what they're doing in Asia uh, and what they've obviously were able to do in North America um, uh, and have um, a, a more open approach. We could stimulate growth, economic growth, because we'll let more people travel. We'll stimulate more prosperity. People mm. will want to, to be better educated. Governments will have the wherewithal from the additional tax revenues to put in place those education programs that will then provide the skills we need to have a self-sustaining industry.
Mm. Well, we're going to take a little break, and I want us to explore that particular issue, looking into the issue of infrastructure that you highlighted briefly there, and also look at that issue of demand. We know that uh, Africa is becoming one of those continents that's becoming robust in its economy. There's a lot of interaction, a lot of business that's taking place here on the continent. And if you've just joined us today, we are speaking about the establishment of an African single air transport market. And uh, there was a meeting that was held last week in uh, uh, Pretoria, the capital in South Africa. The meeting was uh, convened with the aim of engaging different stakeholders, mainly comprising of ministers of the 15 states representing each region of the African Union. And uh, this was their mission, to create an African air, uh, single air market. Uh, what's your view in terms of this particular thing? Do you think it's actually possible? Do you think there'll be a buy-in from all countries to actually pursue this particular endeavor? Let us know your views, know that you can't call in, but we really appreciate your SMS. So do SMS us on plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. On the line, I have Chris Zwegenthal, who's the chief executive of Airlines Association of Southern Africa. I have Shailen Chetty, who is the executive manager of engineering and flight operations at the Nell Aviations. And Lyndon Burns joins us as well, managing director of Plan Talking. We'll be back after this short break. This message is meant for a listener in South Africa. Can you hear me? Hi, I'm Gosazana Zamini Zuma, the chairperson of the African Union Commission. Ebola in Guinea, Liberia and Sierra Leone is causing untold suffering and loss of life. Despite these odds, We are inspired by the courage of the people, the efforts of the governments, and the heroism of health workers and volunteers. It gives us hope and fills us with determination that we can stop Ebola. You can avoid Ebola, you can recover from Ebola, and you can contribute to the fight against Ebola. The African Union and member state countries have deployed health workers and volunteers to stop Ebola but more is needed. You and I can make a difference. SMS Stop Ebola to the number 40797 and donate at least $1 in your local currency to Stop Ebola. You can also donate through the website www.africaagainstebola.org. With your donation, we can send a thousand or more health workers to the affected countries. United, we can stop Ebola. Thank you. You are listening to African Dialogue right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Online, you're joining us on www.channelafrica.org. Thank you for joining us. Remember, African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday. Today, we are bringing you this conversation on an African single air transport market and a very interesting conversation that we're having indeed. have some great experts on the line giving us various experts on experts of how this is going to impact the continent. Also, 
how many challenges we could have and how we can overcome those in order to make sure that this happens. And we were getting various dynamics before the particular break, looking at uh, really the impact of uh, uh, this in terms of infrastructure and the way that we could deal with it. But uh, on the line, we have Chris Zwegenthal, the Chief Executive of Airlines Association of Southern Africa, and Shailen Getty is joining us. He's an Executive Manager of Engineering and Flight Operations at Denel Aviations. Now, uh, Chris, in terms of what was highlighted earlier on, some people would ask the main question, does the continent have the correct infrastructure to make sure that this happens? Well, I certainly think we do. Um, we'll look, we're in a very much, still in a very much a developmental stage. But mm. if you look at uh, around, the, around the continent, you've got certain sec- centers of excellence. And um, particularly on infrastructure, we take airport infrastructure in South Africa. It's obviously excellent, prepared for the, for the World Cup. So we've got no problems here. And in a lot of uh, the neighboring states within, within the southern re- African region, such as Maputo, Botswana, Namibia, and um, even up into Zambia and, and Zimbabwe, we know there's a lot of work being done on that area. Obviously, into East Africa, you've got Kenya, who's doing, uh, doing quite a substantial investment in, in a new airport there, Addis Ababa, uh, Cairo, and onto the west side in terms of uh, Dakar and Senegal. So I think you've got all these pockets of excellence. We, when we start talking about some of the smaller places, uh, smaller destinations, I think there's still some work to be done. But again, um, you know, my view is, that, again, opening up a single aviation market is not going to be a big bang approach. You're going to have a preparatory phase of these two years that they're looking mm. at to, to 2017, and there will be a gradual development and gradual opening up and a gradual um, construction of new airport uh, to meet uh, the de- demand that one would expect. Uh, Airtrans, the other other important aspect of infrastructure is obviously the navigation systems across Africa mm. and that really does need to be probably um, audited and, and made sure that we are able to ca- cater for the increased traffic that will be taking place across but I think we've got very competent people um, in, in the various regions looking after that um, and obviously then obviously catering, catering for, for the requirement to improve aviation safety across Africa as part of the whole AFI um, safety summit that was signed in, in Abuja, and I think, in, in, 20, in July 2012, which had a number of, of um, uh, targets and which I think uh, there is progress being made in that area. Mm. Lyndon, your views there? Yeah, I think uh, yeah, Chris has pretty much summed that up. Yeah, mm. there, is a, there has been a lot of investment, certainly in airports. Um, uh, and, and, of course, it's important to make sure that there's consistency uh, when it comes to the air navigation um, service across the continent because mm. we, we did go through a very difficult patch um, you know, a decade ago where it was pretty much, you know, every, everyone was having to broadcast blind on HF radio yeah. in the middle of the night because there was very, very mm. patchy uh, air-to-ground communications at the time, and, and thankfully that situation seems to have improved somewhat. Mm. And Shailen, I want to come back to you in terms of uh, the issue of uh, uh, what it will happen on in terms from a local perspective in each country. Would this be good for uh, locally designed and manufactured aircrafts? Would it actually benefit local aviation industries? I think certainly it will, Benjamin. I, mm. I think uh, if you also go back to a point that Lyndon uh, touched on earlier, with, where air transportation could be one of the the ideals at, at this stage that we should be looking at, its accessibility into parts of Africa that uh, uh, we don't have a train service and we, we don't have a road network. Mm. So if, if we couple 
the the development of particular uh, aircraft to to suit these environments with, within the African context, I think that each country being involved will have a, a phase of growth or a growth spurt where they have uh, an opportunity to, to develop the aerospace sector and the aerospace engineering, uh, taking into consideration, of course, that uh, the aerospace sector means not just engineers, but it's technicians, scientists, technologists. ATC, uh, engineers uh, and technicians looking at airport and runway construction. Mm. Uh, so, so all aspects of uh, scientific and technological development will be affected by uh, uh, an, an idea or an ideal to move to locally developed aircraft. Mm-hmm. Very interesting aspects there. But also what I want to know in terms of uh, the capacity of that we can do it, in terms of examples on the continent, uh, I've been told that Ethiopia has uh, a very sufficient aviation industry and I know that we've seen growing areas, uh, countries such as Kenya, they've been doing well in this regard. Uh, Chris, do we have some good examples on the continent where we've seen efficiency, we've seen some improvements over the the last 10, 15 years in the industry? Well, I think, um, I think we've seen um, improvements across the continent. Mm. It's probably not as quick as we would like to have, and I think probably one of the problems has been that we haven't moved with the implementation of the Yamasuka decision uh, quickly enough, and yeah. so we've lost a lot of pace with the influx of international airline tra- in, into the market where a lot of the states have said, well, we can't get our own markets going, we can't get the African liberalization going, mm. so they've opened it up to the international airlines, and you've got the large European and Gulf carriers, which are really uh, uh, carrying, uh, we understand, up to 82% of the international mm. traffic bet- um, of wow. Africa wow. compared to what the, the African airlines are carrying internationally. So we've lost a bit of pace there. But again, we've got, you've mentioned Kenya, you've mentioned Addis Ababa. These airlines are all part of global alliances, as is South African Airways and, and Egypt Air. And, and those airlines are certainly able to compete with the best airlines worldwide. Mm. Um, what we need to do is find ways to strengthen, and, and in, in, a, in the regional context, try and find a way to strengthen the other airlines in such a way that they can either get to a point of, of joining a major global alliances or, or just provide the net necessary network service within the particular region they wish to, to serve. Mm. And South Africa seems to be playing a role here. Lyndon, earlier on you were highlighting the historical uh, involvement of South Africa in conversations. We know they were back in South Africa having these conversations again. And we know that we have a very uh, advanced system here in South Africa. Our airports are world class and also we have great aviation facilities here on, on, on in the country. It's just a fantastic uh, industry in South Africa. What role does South Africa play here? I, I think before I answer that, I mm. just want to pick up again on something Chris is alluding to in your previous Fantastic. question. Go ahead. Um, yeah, if we look at the successes of places like the Gulf over the last 15, 20 years, mm. and in parallel, the foot dragging that's taken place uh, here on the continent, the one key lesson, and I think you look at somewhere like Ethiopia, they've seen, they've, they've recognized this lesson and they've applied it. And that is that they've aligned their government policies mm. to make sure that air transport mm. connectivity is placed front and central as uh, uh, in their overall economic development mm. plan. Mm. Okay? 
and they see the value, they recognize the value of that connectivity, and they, they, they've done everything they can to align all their other governing policies, whether it's to do with immigration and visas, whether it's to do with um, import and export duties, um, you know, freight tariffs, all these other things. They've aligned all that to make them attract, attractive um, uh, uh, magnets, if you like, uh, and, and, and centers for connectivity. And it's astonishing. Dubai Airport, mm. you won't believe me if I tell you this, but Dubai Airport is Africa's biggest hub airport now. Wow. It's overtaken Joburg. It's overtaken Nairobi. There are more flights connecting to African destinations out of Dubai. Mm. And this goes back to what Chris is saying. You know, we, we lost momentum. Why we lost momentum is a whole different kettle of fish. And the skeptics who are listening to the show will say, yeah, right, 2017, that's ambitious. We've heard, mm. we've heard this now since 1988. Mm. Um, and, and yes, absolutely, it's time now for governments to stop talking and start doing, mm. because we're going to lose the, the, the fruits of this. If we do this, if we get it right and we go ahead with it, um, there's a lot to gain. And, and, and it's, it's too important to miss the opportunity right now. We've made the investments in the infrastructure in South Africa, and the investments are being made in other parts of the continent. Mm. But we need to capitalize on that, and we, we need to address unemployment, we need to address skills development, and we can do all this by having this common market. Mm. And, and that South African element of, of things, is it still uh, on, on the forefront, South Africa, or does it seem to be a more collaborative effort right now, Lyndon? Well, I think it's collaborative. You know, South Africa chairing the, the AU at the moment, obviously mm. that, 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 that gives us some influence. Uh, and, yeah, we, we've always been very good at doing the talking. Mm. Um, but that's why I say it's now time for governments to, to step up to yeah. the plate yeah. and do more than just talk. Mm. Yeah. Now, Shailen, I like what Lyndon was highlighting there in terms of we need to create capacity. That's what he was saying. We need to actually on the ground actually move forward with this. And I'm sure that the issue of training is one that's essential. Uh, is Africa on par with, uh, with the, what's happening in the international world with training in the world of aviation, Shailen? Uh, I, I think you've got to look at it in, in two aspects. Yeah. Uh, w- the first aspect would be uh, training in terms of maintenance systems and uh, maintaining aircraft. Mm. And if, if you closely examine that, I think we are adequate. I think that there's always uh, a lot of room for improvement where we can uh, up our standards and become much better. Uh, and, and the second aspect you need to look at is in terms of aircraft design and uh, continued airworthiness around aircraft. Yeah. And, and there the only way to, to develop skills and to maintain skills is by adding in projects. So to, to work on an aircraft development, to, to design aircraft, to design um, systems for aircraft. So, so I think uh, the answer is both yes and no. I think in developing countries, we are comparable. I think if you look at um, uh, the term first world countries, then we might have a little work to do to bring our systems up to, to that, that level.
Mm. Now, we have a few minutes left of the program and we have to wrap it up. And uh, I just want to move to the the process. I'm sure this is a collaborative um, effort with uh, businesses, with the airline aviation industry in South Africa. And, you know, in, I mean, not in Africa, rather. I keep saying South Africa, but in Africa. Uh, I want to know, in terms of uh, that mission of collaborating with you guys on the ground, Chris, how important is that and how important should these government officials move down now from a discussion level that uh, Lyndon is talking about to actually practically speaking to organizations who are down on the ground? Well, that's a great question because I can tell you that um, from, the, from the perspective of the Yamrasukra decision which was signed in 1999 up to now, we've had a lot of um, interaction and, and we as an association have been involved in a lot of the development of the, the work to go towards the implementation of the, of the Yamasuka decision, um, including the fact that when we got involved in about 2002, we were talking about putting together all the um, structures to, to put this in place, such as what even got agreement on competition regulations, dispute resolution mechanisms, the implementing provisions, and the whole question of getting the executing agency for the implementation of Yamasukra decision, has, you know, that mechanism is already in place. We've just had the delays by, I think, by the, the concerns by some states um, and probably influenced by a lot of their airlines that this was moving too fast, as, as Lyndon um, alluded to, from even the Yamasukra declaration of 1988. So we uh, really are committed. We've, um, we're certainly from our side as representing the SADC region um, and obviously involved with South Africa as well on the side, are fully committed and have made our commitment fully known to the to the Department of Transport um, that we are ready and, and willing to to get going with the further consultation and to and to start with a with a with the whole question of implementation. We just need the commitment of all the states, the heads of state, as well as the ministers, as well as their senior officials, and down to the airlines and all the other stakeholders, mm. that this is something that can work. It's a task. It's a huge task. Mm. Um, again, as uh, Lyndon referred to the skeptics, I'm sure there are many out there, mm. but they will, the skeptics will continue and, and if they see any sort of hesitation from any of the major players to wanting to do this. And then, of course, it's, it's going to be a battle. But, mm. but we can, if everybody's aligned 100%, and we've got... You mentioned there were 15 ministers here. There are about there's 54 states in Africa. There are mm. 44 that signed the Yamasuka de- decision. It's, that message has got to get through and get to be accepted by everybody. Mm. Otherwise, we're going to still be in the same mode which we have been, and that is really trying to look at implementation and liberalisation on a regional economic block um, area such as SADC and then Comesa mm. and ECOWAS, etc., on West Africa's side. Mm. Lyndon, your final sentiments? I think, you know, Chris says it all there. Um, my biggest concern is the pace at which enabling legislation can be passed. Absolutely. You know, we know how long it takes for a, a bill to get passed in our own parliament. Um, you know, so if they're going to, if South Africa, which has now, you know, uh, set this or, or, or stood up and said we're going to meet the 2017 target, great. Well, then I want to start seeing some stuff being tabled in parliament yeah, now, yeah. you know, because it's going to take that long to get through. Mm. Shailen, and your views in terms from an engineering side and and, and, uh, training side, how do we move forward? How do we make sure that uh, there's also on the ground an understanding of uh, these developments? 
Well, I, I believe what we, we can't allow to happen is that we allow aerospace skills to, to dwindle. Mm. Even if we, we don't have all the type of projects and we don't have uh, the funding flow coming through, we have to maintain a, a level of capacity and capability within the country. And we have to foster relationships between the universities, mm. scientific institutions, mm. and industry. And we have to grow our young engineers and our young scientists to be able to take over the mantle when the country uh, commits to, to these uh, initiatives. Mm. Thank you so much to Shailen Chetty there, who is the Executive Manager of Engineering and Flight Operations at Denel Aviations. Chris Zwegenthal also was joining us for this great conversation. He's the Chief Executive of Airlines Association of Southern Africa. I also want to thank Lyndon Burns, the Managing Director of Plan Talking, and I hope that we can plain speak... To, plain Talking, sorry. Plain Talking. <laughs> uh, and uh, I hope that I can speak to you guys in 2017 and see where we are. Thank you very much. Fantastic. Thank you. What a great conversation. Bye-bye. And hey, South, South Africa, uh, the rest of the continent has a big feat on this particular endeavor. We've got a whole lot to achieve in a short space of time, creating an African single air transport market. It seems to be a big endeavor, like they highlighted. There's a lot of implementation that needs to be done. There's a lot of issues of regulations that need to be dealt with. And also, we need to create, I love what uh, Shailen was highlighting, issues of hey, we need to collaborate with the universities. We need to find out what's happening there, get the engineers, get young people interested in the world of aviation. But what are your views on this particular story? Let us in on what you are thinking. SMS us on plus two seven eight two three three to five nine zero five. That's plus two seven eight two three three to five nine zero five. Now it's time for us to move on. It's almost eleven forty five. Let's get our economics update. Thanks, Benjamin, and uh, good morning. Uh, Traders had earlier been left surprised uh, when Nigeria's currency, the Naira, was not priced. Nigerian Central Bank Governor Godwin Mefiele declared that the Naira, which has crumpled 190 to the dollar, was appropriately priced. However, when the currency dealers in Lagos and other financial centers in Africa and Europe got to work the day after his announcement, many were surprised to find that the Naira wasn't priced at all let alone appropriately. Instead, they started at their computer screens for three hours. Traders were presented with blank spaces where normally they see the bids and offers that determine the market price of the currency of Africa's biggest oil producer and the largest economy. Stenbank Uganda has signed to obtain an $85 million 18-month loan which will fund the bank's general business activities. The interest rate on the loan is 250 basis points over the London Interbank Offered Rate. It is the first international syndicated loan for Stenbeek Uganda, which is a unit of South Africa Standard Bank. Still in South Africa, power utility ESCOM says uh, the power system remains vulnerable, meaning that any extra load or faults in the system 
may necessitate load shedding. Today, yesterday, ESCOM implemented stage two rolling power cuts to help bolster power supply for the rest of the week. ESCOM began with stage one rotational power cuts on Tuesday morning, but later on escalated to stage two. Stage one allows for up to 1,000 megawatts of national load to be cut, while stage two it's up to 2,000 megawatts, and stage three for up to 4,000 megawatts. Global mining company Anglo-American says a sharp drop in commodities prices will likely result in impairment charges for its 2014 financial year. This as it posted annual production ahead of its guidance for its key commodities. The company, which has lagged rivals for much of the past decade, is undergoing a restructuring focused on improving mining operations and selling less profitable assets. Anglo-Americans' turnaround efforts, however, have so far clashed with the routes in prices of metals such as copper, coal and iron ore, which make up much of its earnings. The company says given the sharply lower commodity price environment, particularly for the bulk of the commodities, it expects to record certain non-impairment charges as special items for the 2014 financial year. In some international news now, the International Monetary Fund has warned that African economies could be hurt by a slowdown in China's economy and an imminent hike in the United States interest rates. The IMF's global economic forecasts have been revised down over the past few months despite a huge decline in oil prices. It has called for vigilance across Africa and has added that the slower growth has implications for a continent that is now more integrated into the global economy than it was ever was. Financial indicators at this hour, the US dollar trading at 11.50, South African rents 9.46, Botswana pulas and 6.37, Zambian kwachas. It is also trading at 0.66 against the British pound and at 7.89 to the euro. Moving now to the commodities market, gold $1,287, platinum $1,255 a fine ounce, Brent crude oil has gone now to $48.96 per barrel. That's your economics news for now. Back in an hour's time with another update. Now let's get our sports from Musibudi Makura. Sports fans and starting off with football news, Sheikh Mashaba, the head coach of the South African main senior team, Bafana Bafana says despite the team's early elimination from the 2015 Africa Cup of Nations tournament, he is happy with how the team played at the Continental Showpiece. South Africa exited the Africa Cup of Nations with a 2-1 loss to the Black Stars of Ghana at the Estadio de Mongomo in Equatorial Guinea on Tuesday night. The Black Stars advanced to the quarterfinals as Group C winners along with Algeria, who defeated Senegal 2-0 in a simultaneous fixture. Bafana Bafana scored three times at the tournament 
joined and finished rooted at the bottom of Group C. Mashaba says his team will do well in the next AFCON tournament set for 2017. Most unfortunately, I don't know what changes people are talking about because uh, first thing that we need to remember, our mandate was to build up a team and it would have been good to give everybody a chance. Unfortunately, that couldn't happen because of the numbers that you can play. But uh, I would say all the boys that had a chance to play, they definitely gave up their best. One wouldn't doubt anything that in the future they'll definitely do well for the country. Mashaba further says the tournament has been a lesson to this team. In football, I believe in one thing. Experience comes from when you've got good football basics. When I talk about basics, you've got to learn how to pass the ball. Tactically, you've got to know when the running off of the ball and killing the game. Very critical when you want goal up. Very critical because that helps you in killing the momentum of the opposition. We didn't do that. Brilliant tried, but most unfortunately it wasn't not enough. But I still say what cost us this game? It's because everybody switched off and we went we started playing by reverse and we went to sit in front of our goalkeeper. That's when we considered the two goals. Meanwhile Captain Dean Furman could not hide his disappointment. We're very disappointed because uh, we thought our performances wanted more, especially in the first two games. Especially taking the lead in both in, in all three games, we know that we, we could have t- uh, we should have closed out more points, but uh, it wasn't to be for us, and it's something that we have to learn from and we have to learn very fast. After cricket news, Hashim Amla returns to captain the Castle Laga Proteas for the fifth Momentum One Day International against the West Indies at Supersport Park in Centurion, set to take place later this afternoon. Abu de Villiers has been rested, rested for the match, while Quentin de Kock makes a return to the lineup after a speedy recovery from a left ankle injury sustained in December. The Proteas have made it clear on the importance of finishing the series with a win and will see the match as the last opportunity to tie up Lucy before leaving for the ICC Cricket World Cup next week. Amla says the French players will have learned a lot from the defeat in Port Elizabeth last weekend and will continue to gain more confidence with each playing opportunity. The Proteas have been or have three more matches before their opening match at the World Cup against Zimbabwe in Hamilton on the 15th of February. Apart from today's match, they are scheduled to play a warm-up match against Sri Lanka and New Zealand and Christchurch ahead of the tournament opener. And finally, in rugby news, the government of Kenya has taken steps to rescue Kenya Rugby Union from a total disarray after some sponsors expressed dissatisfaction with the state of matters at the federation currently facing uh, an array of resignations. Channel Africa's Francis Mutegi is in Nairobi, Kenya, and filed this report. The Kenya Rugby Union sponsors are clearly unhappy with the recent wrangles that have led to the resignations of former Kenya 7th head coach Paul True, chairman Mwangi Mude and board members Godwin Karuga, Maurice Masiga and Penina Wahome who quit this week. Matters stand for the worse after title sponsors of the annual international Kenya Safari 7th tournament, Safaricom, confirmed last week they are reviewing all their association with sports so as to do away with those that were not beneficial to them. All those are your sports news at this hour. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
interesting indeed the conversation we had today looking at the single uh, air transport market on the continent. Is it possible? Yes, it is possible. That's what we heard from our guests. But there's a lot that needs to be done. What are your views on it? SMS us on plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. We're talking about capacity. We're talking about political will. And also, hey, let's move on with it. That was the message that we heard today. But hey, remember, African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Interact with us via Facebook. We've got a Facebook page simply titled Channel Africa, or you can tweet us at Channel Africa 1 or at African Dialogue. Go to that at African Dialogue page or Twitter handle and you'll find us there. That's how we wrap it up. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Tomorrow we'll be looking at the African Union. We know that uh, the Heads of States meeting summit is taking place there. It's a big moment for uh, the continent right now. There's a lot of things happening. Boko Haram. There are a lot of issues on the continent that we have to deal with, with conflict, issues of uh, governance, issues of uh, business, uh, land ownership. There's so much that we're going to be talking about tomorrow. So do join us at the same time right now as today at 11 uh, Central African time in the morning. So we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.